Welcome to Season 2 of The Spot Diagnosis, a podcast about all things dermatological, brought to you by the Skin Health Institute in Melbourne, Australia. I am Dr Blake Mumford, Education and Research Fellow at the Institute. And I'm Associate Professor Alvin Chong, Director of Education and Specialist Dermatologist. Blake and I are your co-hosts. Because of the COVID pandemic and restrictions, we are recording this podcast by phone conference. We have an interesting topic today, which is contact dermatitis, and a world-renowned guest speaker, Associate Professor Rosemary Nixon. Professor Nixon is a leading expert in contact dermatitis. She wrote the textbook chapter on allergic contact dermatitis in Bologna's textbook of dermatology. Think Harrison's, but for dermatologists. She holds the distinction of being the only person to have Australian qualifications in both dermatology and occupational medicine. In 2017, she was awarded the membership of the Order of Australia and also the highest award of the Australasian College of Dermatologists, the Silver Medal. Professor Rosemary Nixon, welcome to Spot Diagnosis. Delighted to be here. Okay, our tradition for season two is to ask our guest speaker to share a fun, obscure dermatological fact with our listeners. Does anything come to mind? Well, it's believed that famous novelist and playwright Oscar Wilde was the first celebrity to experience allergic contact dermatitis to hair dye. He lived from 1854 to 1900, and records suggest that he was prematurely grey and dyed his hair. He apparently experienced severe intermittent itchy rashes affecting his face, scalp, arms and back. PPD, or paraphenylene diamine, is still the basis of almost all permanent hair dyes and a notorious cause of allergic contact dermatitis, especially in hairdressers. It was introduced as a fur dye in 1883 and subsequently used as an unregulated hair dye. Wilde allegedly died of a chronic ear infection which may even have been an infective complication of his allergic contact dermatitis affecting his face and scalp. Gosh, the, uh, the cost of vanity, I guess. Okay, I'll just give a brief overview of the history of contact dermatitis. So contact dermatitis is a type of dermatitis caused by direct skin contact with an external agent and is classified as either allergic contact dermatitis or irritant contact dermatitis. Irritant contact dermatitis makes up the vast majority of contact dermatitis, around 75 to 80% of cases. The first descriptions of contact dermatitis can be traced to the papyri of the ancient Egyptians, and various notable physicians have made their mark on the field throughout history. In the 17th century, Ramazzini, the Italian physician and father of occupational medicine, observed that laundry women and soap workers developed hand dermatitis due to direct contact with substances. The British also chipped in their two cents. Willen and his student Bateman gave morphological descriptions of contact dermatitis and described cases of contact dermatitis in shoemakers caused by wax. Where the achievements of the British have mentioned, those of the French cannot be omitted, Pierre Cazenave made a significant contribution by trying to classify contact dermatitis into acute and chronic and German dermatologist Joseph Yadison gave the first description of patch testing in 1895, a major milestone in the field. Both allergic contact dermatitis and irritant contact dermatitis manifest as eczematous rashes. 
but the mechanisms by which they cause the skin inflammation are different. Let's move on to our first question now. We say that contact dermatitis manifests as an eczematous rash. Ro, can you explain the confusing terminology of eczema and dermatitis? It really is very confusing, Blake, because these terms actually do mean the same thing. But to make it easier for people to understand, I use the terms endogenous eczema, and there are many different types of eczema, including atopic eczema, which is also called atopic dermatitis, and exogenous contact dermatitis, which is caused by substances contacting the skin. Now, that can be further subdivided into allergic contact dermatitis and irritant contact dermatitis. Okay, then. In terms of contact dermatitis, how do the mechanisms of allergic contact dermatitis and irritant contact dermatitis differ? These are completely different. Allergic contact dermatitis is an immunological reaction of the delayed hypersensitivity type, which means that we don't see the rash until 4, 8, 24, 40 hours, 48 hours after contact of the allergen with the skin. On the other hand, irritant contact dermatitis is also immunological, but in a different way. It's caused by an inflammatory cascade resulting in the release of lots of cytokines or inflammatory chemicals that produce the characteristic features of skin inflammation. People with atopic eczema have an impaired skin barrier function to begin with. Ro, are these people more likely to get contact dermatitis? Absolutely. They're much more likely to get irritant contact dermatitis because of that impaired skin barrier that you mentioned. Whether they get more allergic contact dermatitis has been a bit controversial. Immunologically, you might think that they should get less allergic contact dermatitis and more immediate reactions, but because their skin barrier is damaged, they often use a lot of products on their skin. And the more things you use, the more likely you are to develop allergies. So overall, it's thought that the atopic people probably do have the same rate of allergic contact dermatitis as the rest of the people. Ro, could you please paint a picture for our listeners of what does irritant contact dermatitis actually look like? Irritant contact dermatitis is really a spectrum. At the acute end are the burns or necrosis that we see on the knees of home handymen who have knelt in cement while doing their DIY work at home on the weekends and present to emergency departments on Sunday night with severe skin uh, blistering and ulceration. As dermatologists, we tend to see chronic irritant contact dermatitis, which is basically a red, scaly, dry, itchy rash, particularly affecting the hands. And what about allergic contact dermatitis? Does that look any different? Well, that's tricky. It's also red, scaly, itchy and dry and can affect the hands. Although we may see some more inflammatory changes such as blisters or vesicles, which are small blisters, and sometimes swelling and almost some urticarial features. Are there any clues from the appearance that can distinguish between irritants or allergic contact dermatitis, or even atopic eczema for that matter. Irritant contact dermatitis is often localised, particularly to the hands, whereas allergic contact dermatitis may spread. 
And that spread may be for one of two reasons. Uh, allergens may be transferred from the hands to other parts of the body, or there may be an id or hypersensitivity reaction where the body goes out in sympathy to the presence of this intense inflammatory skin reaction. It's time for our first skin tip. It is difficult to reliably clinically distinguish between irritant contact dermatitis and allergic contact dermatitis. Okay, so you can't tell the difference based on the appearance alone. But are there other diagnostic clues that might point to a diagnosis of allergic contact dermatitis? Definitely. Many of the clues come from the history. And of course, when we see the patients, they may not always have the rash. Allergic contact dermatitis preferentially affects thinner areas of the skin, such as the eyelids and neck. Classically, shampoos cause reactions on the eyelids, not the scalp, because the eyelid skin is thinner than the scalp. Similarly, nail polish causes reactions on the neck or the eyelids and not around the nails. The timing and the episodic nature of the rash may also suggest allergic contact dermatitis. I remember one patient who used to get a rash on the weekends, particularly around her eyes, and she decided that it was the carpet that was causing the rash when she spent time at home over the weekends and was about to rip up her carpet, which was going to cost her $7,000. We found out that she was actually allergic to nickel in her work glasses that she used in the week, uh, and the rash got worse and worse and worse towards the end of the week and was actually worse on the weekend. So historical clues like timing can be very helpful in making a, a clinical diagnosis. We're also very receptive to the fact that if people have never had a rash before, they've never had any skin problems, they've never had any eczema, then they're possibly more likely to have allergic contact dermatitis. You've mentioned nickel there. What are the common allergens that cause allergic contact dermatitis? Well, at the Skin Health Institute, we've got data from my occupational dermatology clinic since 1994. And every year we crunch our numbers. Last year, we found that six of the 10 most common allergens were perfume or fragrances. There's a particular emphasis these days on clean, green, and should I say smelly products. And we're seeing more and more allergies to perfumes uh, in skincare products. We also see reactions to nickel in cheap jewellery, chromate in leather or cement, uh, rubber chemicals in gloves, preservatives such as methyl isothiazolone, which has caused a veritable epidemic of reactions to baby wipes in recent years, and other more workplace-based substances such as epoxy resins. And you mentioned concrete as a skin irritant. What are the common skin irritants that cause irritant contact dermatitis? Well, surprisingly, the most irritating uh, thing for the skin is water. Wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry contact with the skin is the most important cause of irritant contact dermatitis. After that, we have detergents and cleaning agents and soaps. Soaps are very alkaline. They're very good for getting the dirt off the knees of toddlers, but they're also very irritating to the skin, which is why in dermatology we often talk about soap substitutes, which are pH balance. We have other irritants such as oils, solvents, dusts, fibres, 
and physical irritants such as heat and sweating under occlusive gloves and friction and low humidity. Ro, sometimes patients are convinced that a favorite face cream or product couldn't be the cause of their contact dermatitis because they've been using it for years. I actually do see quite a lot of patients who come in with facial rashes from products that they have sworn by for like 20 years. So is this something that you encounter a lot? Definitely. The factors that can cause sensitization or becoming allergic are exposure to a particular allergen, the concentration of that allergen, the duration of exposure, as well as an individual susceptibility. Now, it's said that there are 4,000, over 4,000 allergens out of about 100,000 chemicals. So allergens need to be a certain size and shape to get through the skin to cause an allergic reaction. The other factor that's important there is skin barrier damage. If the skin barrier is damaged, then that allergen will find it easier to get through the skin. That brings us to our next skin tip. In some patients, it can take years of chronic low-grade exposure before sensitivity to an allergen develops. Ro, can, can the distribution of the dermatitis provide clues to the likely allergen? Absolutely. And often patients can work this one out themselves and will not need to go to a doctor, let alone a dermatologist. So people will often realise that they've reacted to a deodorant, although they often blame the aluminium and not the perfume, which is the usual cause. Similarly, they may work out that they're reacting to a belt buckle. Um, but when it gets complicated uh, is often with the hands because the hands are in contact with many substances such as wet wipes, gloves, moisturising creams. And then there are certain other patterns such as uh, allergic contact dermatitis to hair dyes, which is quite prevalent in older Asian males, but rather than presenting with a rash on the scalp, they often present with a rash at the scalp margins or even the eyelids. So there are many sort of classic presentations and then there are a little bit more complicated ones as well. So it sounds like sometimes you have to pretend to be like Professor House or Sherlock Holmes to try and find out the offending allergen. Is that right? Absolutely. We like to think of ourselves as Sherlock Holmes the, the biggest clue is that initial site of the rash. That gives us a clue where the uh, allergic contact dermatitis might have started. I remember one patient who had this patchy dermatitis on her hands. It didn't really look as if it uh, was in any particular distribution, but she reacted to nickel and then she brought in her frying container. She worked in a, a fast food shop and fried the chips. And when we looked at the distribution of the rash, it exactly matched the handle of the frying container, which was a stainless steel uh, coating which had broken down to exposed nickel. And so her rash was entirely explained by a nickel distribution. Another example where we tracked down a most uh, surprising allergen was in the case of a maintenance worker. He described rashes all over his body, occasionally on his scalp, occasionally his arm, occasionally his hands. And really from taking the history, I had no idea what was the cause of the rash because he did lots of different jobs all around the factory and I couldn't work out one particular exposure. Nevertheless, when we tested him, 
he reacted to tea tree oil and it turned out that every night after he got home, he put tea tree oil on any little cut from the day's activities. And that was the cause of his allergic reaction. So, Rosemary, I think occupation would surely play a, an important role for a lot of these patients who have, you know, some kind of uh, uh, dermatitis, particularly in their hands. Absolutely. And wet work often plays a role in uh, initiating uh, dermatitis. Uh, and we see that in our wet work professions, such as hairdressers, nurses, food handlers and cleaners. And what we often find is because of that skin barrier damage from the wet work, that facilitates sensitization and uh, the occurrence of allergic contact dermatitis. So it's quite common, for example, to see a cleaner who initially gets irritant contact dermatitis, then wears rubber gloves a bit too late to protect their hands and then develops allergic contact dermatitis to the rubber chemicals as well. One particular problematic uh, profession for us uh, is hairdressing. Unfortunately, hairdressers are exposed to wet work uh, when they wash hair at the basin, but then all the major hairdressing allergens, dyes, hairdressing bleach, and perm solution are allergens as well. So we call that the hairdressing trifecta. Unfortunately, they have irritants and allergens as well. Healthcare workers are a little bit in the same boat because they have skin barrier damage from lots of hand washing. And then there are lots of weak allergens, but nevertheless allergens in some of the skincare cleansers, uh, lanolin and various emulsifying agents. And we've shown uh, in the past that many people are just doing their day-to-day -day work and using the products supplied at work and they develop uh, allergic contact dermatitis. Unfortunately, Sometimes uh, allergic contact dermatitis can have a very poor prognosis, and that particularly involves our cement workers who become allergic to chromate in cement, and they can develop persistent post-occupational dermatitis, which is a, an ongoing rash, which is initiated by that occupational exposure. Ro, at the start of this episode, you mentioned that allergic contact dermatitis was a type 4 or delayed hypersensitivity reaction. Can immediate hypersensitivity or type 1 reactions manifest in the skin? They certainly can, Blake. Type 1 or immediate hypersensitivity reactions involve the re release of histamine. And we more commonly see these reactions as being important in asthma and hay fever and food allergies and the allergens are grasses and pollens and foods. However, there are certain instances where this type of mechanism can affect the skin and cause an immediate urticaria reaction uh, called contact urticaria. The main culprits for us are latex allergy, and we certainly saw an epidemic of latex allergy in the 90s and the noughties from uh, glove powder facilitated by glove powder in latex gloves. I always say that latex allergy is forgotten, not gone. We still see cases. Other causes of contact urticaria include ammonium persulfate or hairdressing bleach in hairdressers who may present with hay fever and asthma as well as skin problems, and food handlers who react to various uh, protein-containing foods. And look, I, I hate to mention it, but there is a bit of a meme about dermatology you know, if you don't know what the rash is or based on what it looks like, you just biopsy it and it tells you. Is skin biopsy helpful to diagnose contact dermatitis? 
this is one area of dermatology where skin biopsies don't really help. Uh, we can't reliably distinguish eczema and contact dermatitis histologically, but we do have a test which we can do, which is our gold standard, and that's patch testing. I think that brings us to another skin tip. Patch testing is the gold standard diagnostic test for allergic contact dermatitis. Bro, can you explain a bit about what patch testing involves and how is it different to skin prick testing? So in patch testing, we're basically reproducing exposure of allergens on the skin. And we have to do this for 48 hours. Now we're not pricking the skin, we're just applying these allergens in specialised test chambers to the skin. We leave them on for 48 hours, we take them off, and then we have another look at the back where this testing is performed after another 48 hours, and that's our uh, most important reading of the reaction. Because in patch testing, we're looking at an epidermal reaction. This is different to crick testing, which involves pricking the skin in order to look at a dermal reaction, which is the release of histamine from uh, mast cells. So patch testing and prick testing are quite different. Prick testing is done over 15 minutes uh, on the forearm and patch testing is done over 96 hours on the back. And who does patch testing for contact dermatitis? Should they be referred to an allergist or a dermatologist? Basically, the rule is that dermatologists do skin. Sometimes people will, will be inappropriately referred to allergists because they have a suspicion that they might be allergic to something, but they're not sure what. But traditionally in Australia, allergists do prick testing, which is used for the investigation of asthma and hay fever, and dermatologists do patch testing. So you do the patch tests in someone that you suspect has contact dermatitis. How do you actually interpret the results of patch testing? If someone reacts to an allergen, is it always relevant or significant? Interpreting the results of patch testing, I have to say, does require a bit of experience. We generally test with what we call, or what we have devised, which is the Australian Baseline Stick Series, which is 60 of the most common and relevant allergens in our patient population. And we, we work this out over many years. In addition, we test with other chemicals that they might be exposed to, be it from their skincare products, fragrances, healthcare workers series, hairdressing series, whatever. But each allergen has their own particular way of reacting. In, in addition, some allergens will irritate the skin. We also have to interpret uh, the reactions of the patient's own contactances contactants or substances which they bring in for patch testing, which we have to dilute. So patch testing isn't quite as easy as you might expect. Once we have got a reaction to an allergen, though, then we have to decide if that reaction is actually the cause of the problem. For instance, someone might react to nickel, but that could be because they reacted to cheap jewellery years ago and it's not the cause of their current rash. So we have to do an exposure assessment to see where they might be exposed to that allergen that they've reacted to. Now, that might be as simple as reading the labels on the products that they've bought, but it might be uh, reading material safety data sheets. It might be ringing up the workplace. It might involve a lot of work. My colleagues in Sweden are very good at analysing 
the samples for the presence of the algae, but unfortunately we don't have access to that sort of technology here. It sounds like there's a bit of detective work involved there, Ro. After you diagnose contact dermatitis, though, how do you treat it? Is it simply a matter of avoiding the offending agent, or is there other treatment involved? It depends. Sometimes uh, the offending allergen is very easy to avoid, such as epoxy resins, which are generally not contacted at home as much as the workplace. But more often than not, it's quite difficult. And that is because there may be multiple contributing factors to the dermatitis. It's perhaps not as easy as it sounds. There may be a cause of allergic contact dermatitis, but there may also be some underlying irritant contact dermatitis with skin barrier damage and possibly an immediate hypersensitive reaction as well and possibly some underlying atopic eczema. So particularly when there are cases where there are multiple factors, it's going to take time for the skin barrier to improve. Ro, can you ever develop tolerance or hardening to a skin irritant? Sometimes, Alvin, we see that in the case of fiberglass, that it gets better with time. But perhaps generally, no. Basically, people uh, become worse with more exposure to skin irritants, and especially if they've got that background of atopic eczema, which means that their skin just can't cope very well with skin irritants. Is it possible to desensitise someone to a particular allergen so they no longer react to it? I think this is particularly important for people whose careers may depend upon it. Unfortunately, it's not possible to desensitise people to type 4 or delayed hypersensitivity reactions. However, it is for type 1 reactions. So some causes of asthma and hay fever, pollens, moulds, grasses, you can do desensitisation for that, but not for the causes of allergic contact dermatitis. We've talked about how contact dermatitis can often be related to a person's occupation. And sadly, sometimes people have to give up on very successful careers. Ro, could you share with our listeners how contact dermatitis can impact on a patient's life? Unfortunately, it can have very severe outcomes. And I think the group that we see is most common uh, sad outcome is hairdressers. And unfortunately, people who want to be hairdressers really want to be hairdressers and they don't want to be anything else. They also don't have so many options available to them. On the other hand, when nurses have skin problems, they do have other opportunities such as in administration or education. We find that some people, for whatever reason, just have a very poor prognosis. And this has particularly been associated with people who get allergic to chromate in cement. We call that persistent post-occupational dermatitis. And often these people do not get better despite avoiding everything that we've found they're allergic to. In some of our work, we've found that smoking might be a risk factor for that condition. At the time of recording this podcast, Ro, COVID-19 is still a huge public health issue. And one of the core parts about reducing the spread include frequent hand washing. So guess what? I'm washing my hands about 30 times a day now. Do you think this has had an impact on contact dermatitis? It certainly has, and it was sort of really quite weirdly exciting back in March when contact dermatitis became flexible, and I contributed to, to an article in the conversation. Lots of hand washing is an important cause of irritant contact dermatitis, but what I really want to emphasise is how good hand sanitizers are. Sometimes people 
a, a worried that if hand sanitizers sting as they do on paper cuts, that they shouldn't be using them. We know that hand sanitizers are really effective in helping us decrease transmission of microbes. And it's really important that we hand sanitize frequently and often. Certainly, uh, hand washing is a cause of irritant contact dermatitis, and it's important that people, as much as possible, wash with soap substitutes. But most importantly, moisturize their skin, particularly at night, to restore that barrier damage from all the washing and sanitizing that's happened during the day. That concludes our touching episode on allergic contact dermatitis. Get it? Touching contact dermatitis? Sorry, guys. I can't let an episode finish without at least one lame joke. I would like to thank Professor Rosemary Nixon for your time and for sharing your expertise with us. Pleasure. We would also like to thank Joe Coglin and Peter Monaghan at the Skin Health Institute. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Spot Diagnosis. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on this subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions.